Welcome to the world of critical care. Today's episode will cover an overview of the clotting cascade. Now, I'm going to go into much more detail in the clotting cascade in the next few episodes, but today I wanted to provide a simple overview where we can cover the highlights, the critical components of it, and then from then, if you're really some specific aspect piques your interest, we can dig a little deeper in the following episodes. Now, I think the clotting cascade is one of the components in critical care that's important to understand. There's an element where it does get into some biochemistry, but I think it's valuable. And the reason being because one, we deal so much with antiplatelet therapy, and we also deal with a lot of blood thinners. In particular, we're looking at medications like Lovenox. We look at heparin. We look at things like Argatraban. And working in, particularly in a cardiovascular ICU, we have a lot of patients that are anticoagulated, and then we reverse it, and they come out of the OR, and we often are dealing with coagulopathy, or we're dealing with hemorrhage situations. We deal with patients in liver failure where we're having coagulopathy. And I think it's really important. And we also have patients too that might have a mechanical heart valve. And so we're trying to get the anticoagulation correct. Or we have an LVAD patient who's coming back to us because they're having some GI bleeding and we're trying to understand their anticoagulation levels. And so it's, it's really important in critical care, I think, to understand this. And one of the reasons is because of education. A lot of families and patients often don't understand what's going on. And they ask a lot of questions about like, okay, I'm on Coumadin, my INR is this, what's really going on? Or they're on heparin, but they're going to be bridged to Coumadin. And there's just so many questions. And I think having a general overview and also just having a good knowledge of this really helps you understand the clinical decision-making that goes on by the providers, but it also helps you communicate that effectively to families, to your patients, to people you're training in the ICU, or if you're a new person in the ICU, I really think it helps you understand what's going on. And so I think the clotting cascade too is a topic that it can look pretty scary at first, to be honest. We look at so many interrelated chemical reactions that occur, it can be very overwhelming. But I think when we start to simplify it, we start to look at the critical components of the clotting cascade, you start to realize that quite simply, we have a vascular injury to the endothelium. And because of the significant amount of clotting factors that are in our bloodstream, so they're in our plasma, those are just proteins. Those proteins have a lot of unique capabilities. We also have enzymes, again, in our bloodstream. And in specific situations, we're able to activate specific proteins from their inactive form to their active form. We have inactive enzymes called zymogens that get converted to their active form, now an enzyme that can speed up our reactions. We're able to then instigate that cascade of events to form where we have our platelet aggregation and then the really critical fibrin cross-linked mesh that forms that critical clot to stop hemorrhaging. And so today's episode, I'm going to try to stay in about a 10 to 15 minute window. We're going to cover today the basics of the process of the clotting cascade but then we're also going to hone in specifically on the critical clotting factors that are most central to the clotting cascade. Now, we're going to focus first 
on our normal vessel. So our vessels inside of it's called the endothelium. Now our endothelium does a very good job at inhibiting aggregation under normal situation. So our endothelium secretes nitric oxide and PGI2, which is prostacyclin, which specifically keep platelets from aggregating and forming an adhesion on a normal endothelium. They essentially put our platelets to sleep. We also have a glycosaminoglycan named heparin sulfate on the inside of our endothelium, well, on the vascular side, so inside our vessels, on the wall, that binds to antithrombin-3. Now, this, in essence, inactivates specific clotting factors. Now, remember, clotting factors are just proteins. So that heparin sulfate binds to antithrombin-3, which will inactivate factors 2, 9, and 10. And we're going to come back to that at the end of this episode because it's very important. Interestingly, we also have another critical protein on the outside of the endothelium, but again, it's inside the vessels, called thrombomodulin. Now that binds to thrombin, which essentially interacts with what we call protein C. And now that activated protein C is able to degrade essentially factors five and eight. What's important about this is that these mechanisms are able to keep the clotting cascade from occurring when it needs to not occur. So under normal situations, our body does a lot of things to specifically maintain the blood at the proper coagulation level. And interestingly, and we'll get into this in a future episode, our platelets too have specific characteristics that keep them in their inactivated form from creating a clot, from from creating and initiating that cascade, but also it keeps them from aggregating. So our body is very good under normal conditions at keeping our proteins inactivated when they need to be inactivated, keeping the enzymes inactivated when we need them to be inactivated. But what happens when we get an injury to our vessel? So when we get an injury to our vessel, we now have that endothelium is exposed. And remember, we talked about what happens when that endothelium is exposed. We had that extracellular matrix, and that extracellular matrix has collagen in it. That collagen is now able to be exposed to the circulating factors, so the circulating proteins in our plasma that are continuously flowing through our bloodstream. Well, now they can move through that endothelium, and this is where the clotting cascade begins. Now, interestingly, our body does try to do a few things. One thing we actually can get is some vascular spasm. We can have the smooth muscles actually contract in response to this occurring, sometimes trying to pull it tight and keep the blood from moving out. But remember, the blood is a high-pressure system inside our vessels. Outside our vessels is a low-pressure system. So naturally, fluid is going to move pretty quickly through there. So this is why the clotting cascade is critical. Now, there's three components 
to our clotting cascade. And this is something that can be quite confusing at first, but I think it's simple when we look at it. First and foremost, we have what's called the extrinsic pathway, the intrinsic pathway, and then we have the common pathway. So the extrinsic pathway is our fast-acting pathway. This is a short series of chemical reactions that occur to start the clotting process. We then have an intrinsic pathway, which is a slightly slower process, but we end up at the same intermediate point that the extrinsic pathway ends at to help produce the final product, which we call kind of the common pathway to, to create that fibrin mesh form that helps lead to our clot. So let's begin with what we call the extrinsic pathway. Now remember, in our plasma, we have those proteins and enzymes in their inactive form circulating around. Now we now are able to expose the endothelium. So we have that opening in the endothelium. Hiding just behind in that endothelium, we have something called tissue factor. So the tissue factor, when it's exposed, this glycoprotein that's exposed, it interacts with factor seven. So factor seven, we are able to go from an inactive form to an active form. And what we have is this thing called tissue factor seven, which is called a dimer protein complex. Now that basically means we just have two proteins, but they create what's called the serine protease which is essentially a molecular saw. A protease is able to cleave proteins at specific amino acid placements. And so what's important about this is that this specific protease will then go and alter factor 10 from its inactive form to its active form. Now, importantly, factor seven plus tissue factor also goes and interacts with factor nine, doing a similar process. So that tissue factor seven dimer complex goes and it's able to activate factors nine and factors 10. Now those two activated clotting factors, what they're able to do is then they are able to bind. So nine will bind to eight and 10 will bind to five. Now I know this gets a little confusing because you don't have a diagram. And this is one of those things, click on the link below. I've got a couple links for some great diagrams on this. So I'm gonna try to be sensitive to the fact that we're just having to listen to this. But in essence, what this is able to do is that this tissue factor seven complex a is able to activate factors nine and factors 10. Now you can think of those as on two sides of our diagram. When we activate nine though, it actually is able to then go and help further activate factor 10. And so this process then helps produce, so factor 10 now is gonna bind with factor five and it's going to lead us to prothrombin. Now this is critical. This is the process, this is that extrinsic pathway, the quick pathway. This helps us quickly get to prothrombin. Now once we have prothrombin,
That leads to thrombin, which leads to fibrinogen, which we then are able to move to fibrin, which the fibrin is the critical part. Fibrin's what we want because that's what creates those cross-linked mesh-like structure that actually leads to our clot. But the extrinsic pathway very quickly is able to, you want to think of it, the highway in many ways is our factor 10. Our factor 10 is the crux of that extrinsic quick pathway because if we can quickly activate a lot of factor 10, we're able to then quickly move into that prothrombin, thrombin, fibrinogen, fibrin to the clot. Now that's that extrinsic pathway. We also have an intrinsic pathway. So this is a slower acting pathway, but it leads to the same road, and that that final road is that common pathway that I mentioned. So that's your prothrombin, thrombin, fibrinogen, fibrin to our clot. Now our intrinsic pathway works initially a little bit differently. It's all about exposure to the collagen. So remember, the collagen is in our extracellular matrix. So when we have exposure to collagen, again, those floating around inactivated clotting factors, we are able to activate factors 12, which then, again, serine protease, it is able from 12 to activate factor 11. Now, factor 11 helps to, bec- it helps to activate factor 9. Now remember, 9 was on the opposing side to 10, but as we activate factor 9, it actually helps create more factor 10. So the intrinsic pathway, which is slower, helps also, though, create more factor 10. Now moving back to the intrinsic pathway, we activated factor 12 to factor 11. That factor 11 helps then produce going into factor 9. Now this, again, leads to that activated factor 10. So let's talk about the factor 10 and 5 complex because ultimately our intrinsic and extrinsic pathway ultimately lead to this point. We just have a faster and then a slower mechanism to produce a lot of that activated factor 10. So factor 10 binds with factor 5. So what does this do? This now creates what's called prothrombinase. Now prothrombinase is critical because what it does is now we are able to turn prothrombin, which is inactive, into its activated form, which is thrombin. And I think thrombin is that next stop that we want to really focus on. So the extrinsic and intrinsic pathways both lead to that factor 10 when it's activated, which binds to 5, which gets prothrombinase. Prothrombinase now helps us catalyze that reaction of the inactive prothrombin to the active form thrombin. Now again, thrombin is a serine protease again, but it is massively important. Thrombin works in multiple critical ways. So first and foremost, it now activates fibrinogen, and fibrinogen is able to then lead 
to fibrin. And fibrin is what we need. We need that fibrin cross-linked mesh to actually form a clot. So thrombin, we must have it to activate fibrinogen to lead to fibrin. We have fibrinogen all throughout our body, assuming we have normal levels in our plasma, but it has to be activated by thrombin. Thrombin also activates factor 13, which actually then interacts and helps with fibrin. Number three, thrombin interacts with our platelets in the aggregation process. And finally, thrombin has a positive feedback cycle to help produce and activate more factor 11, but also we have a positive feedback system moving back to our factor 10-5 complex, which furthermore, it helps with that process. And so it's important because thrombin not only is a critical step in the clotting cascade, but it also has the ability to lead to a process where it's called amplification. It's this positive feedback system where the more thrombin we produce, we're actually able to then lead to producing more and more of other critical factors, which lead again back to more thrombin. And this is in essence, the overview of our clotting cascade. Now, I think it's important to remember in our clotting cascade, there are things that are critical. These enzymes are quite sensitive to temperature and they're sensitive to pH. And that's in particular why when we're looking at hemorrhage situations, in particular significant hemorrhage, that's one of the reasons patient temperature is important, making sure our patients are normothermic. It's important to make sure we're not in a state of acidosis or alkalosis because, again, we need our enzymes to be fully functioning. And remember, our enzymes are critical because many of these reactions would be exceptionally slow if we did not have our enzymes. Again, too, we want to make sure that we have the necessary elements that we need. So things like fibrinogen. If we have low fibrinogen levels, we're going to have a missing piece to this component. Granted, we have to activate the fibrinogen, but if we don't have fibrinogen to activate, we can't continue in our clotting cascade. And so these are some of those things when we start looking at the clinical picture, we need to try to start putting pieces together about where are we having an issue in our clotting cascade. One of the reasons I think it's helpful, though, to have this general overview, and I think it's good to dig even a little deeper, is because many of the medications we use work in specific components of the clotting cascade. Our antiplatelet therapy specifically targets specific aspects of our platelets to keep them from adhering during times of potentially where we would initiate a cascade. Or we have something such as heparin, which we're going to talk about in a future episode, but it works on a specific factor. And again, that's why I think it's valuable to understand the clotting cascade because it helps under, help us understand the medications we're using but it also helps us understand better our clinical situation. I appreciate you guys hanging in there. I know this is a hard episode to visualize, especially when you start talking about the different clotting factors. It can be a little bit confusing. And so because of that, I've included in the description at the bottom a few YouTube videos that are my favorites in terms of the clotting cascade. The first video is from a guy called AK Lectures. 
I've been listening to his videos for, oh, it's got to be almost 10 years. He is so good in Gen Chem, O Chem, Bio Chem, so much physiology. His videos are really exceptional. I've also linked to a Khan Academy video. I think they're just generally their medical specific videos, all their pre-med work is really grown over the years and it's really good. So I think there's some great videos. I also have a video from another guy that I think can kind of help provide a little bit different focus. He's got a much longer video, it's almost 45 minutes. But I think from start to finish, he's going to cover everything that all these episodes will cover. And so if you want to have more of a visual reference, that is a really nice video, I think, to use. And with all of this being said, I look forward to Friday's episode.